Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Epstein Chronicles. In this episode, we're going to pick up where we left off with Virginia Roberts' response to the Ghislaine Maxwell attempt to get a summary judgment in their defamation case. So let's get right back to it. Number two, defendant is liable for the media's publication of the defamatory statement. After arguing contrary to the New York law that she is not liable for the media's publication of her own press release, defendant next argues that she is not liable for the media's publications of the defamatory statement contained within her press release if the media chose to make even the tiniest of editorial changes. If we understand defendant's argument correctly, any omission of any language from a press release is somehow a selective, partial publication for which she escapes liability. Motion at 14. Once again, this claim is absurd on its face. It would mean that a defamer could send to the media a long attack on a victim with one irrelevant sentence, and when the media quite predictably cut that sentence, Well, they escape liability for the attack. Moreover, even on its face, the claim presents a jury question of what changes would be in context viewed as selective or partial publications, something that only a jury could determine after hearing all of the evidence. In support of this meritless argument, defendant cites Rand versus New York Times Company for the proposition that a defendant cannot be liable for a publisher's editing and excerpting of a statement. 430 NYS.2D271-274-75A.D.2D-417-422-N.Y.A.D.2D-2D-2D-2D-2D-2D-2D-2D-2D-2D-2D-2D-2D-2D-2D-2D-2D-2D-2D-2D-2D-2D-2D-
2016. Furthermore, the facts at issue here make the RAND holding in opposite. In RAND, the newspaper paraphrased and sanitized defendants' words. No such changing, sanitizing, or paraphrasing occurred in the instant case. The media quoted defendant's statement accurately. Further, the phrase at issue in RAND was that certain people screwed another person. The speaker, newspaper, used the term screwed in reference to a record label's dealings with a performing artist and did not mean screwed in the literal sense, but as rhetorical hyperbole and as such is not to be taken literally. By contrast, there is no hyperbole in defendant's defamatory statement and it was never distorted or paraphrased by any publication known to Ms. Roberts. A jury could reasonably conclude that defendant's statement that Ms. Roberts' claims of child sex abuse are obvious lies is not a rhetorical device nor hyperbole but a literal and particular affirmation that Ms. Roberts lied. Accordingly, there is no support in the factual record that the media reporting what defendant stated that Ms. Roberts' claims of childhood sexual abuse are obvious lies is a distortion of the defendant's message or hyperbole. Even a cursory review of the press release would lead to that conclusion. Moreover, to the extent that there is any dispute that defendant's statement had a different meaning outside of the context of the remainder of the press release, such a determination of meaning and interpretation is a question of fact for the jury to decide and is inappropriate for determination upon summary judgment. B. Material issues of fact preclude summary judgment. 1. The Barton Declaration presents disputed issues of fact. The primary basis of defendant's motion for summary judgment is her attorney's self-serving post hoc affidavit wherein he sets forth his alleged intent with regard defendant's defamatory statement. Ms. Roberts disputes defendant's attorney's alleged and unproven intent, not to mention defendant's intent, not only because defendant refuses to turn over her attorney's communications, but also because questions of intent are questions of fact to be determined by a trier of fact. Furthermore, ample record evidence contradicts the claimed intent. A. The Barden Declaration is a deceptive backdoor attempt to inject Barden's advice without providing discovery of all attorney communications. In her brief, defendant discloses her attorney's alleged legal strategy and alleged legal advice. However, she deliberately states that her attorney's intended instead of her attorney advised when discussing her attorney's legal strategy and advice, using that phrase at least 37 times and using phrases such as Barden's beliefs, purposes, goals, and contemplations 25 other times. All the while, defendant is claimed privilege as to her communications with Barden. Defendant attempts to convince the court that she only granted Gal permission to publish the defamatory statements as part of Mr. Barden's deliberated and carefully crafted MSJ at 16 legal strategy and advice. Yet, she still refused to turn over her communications with Barden under the auspices of attorney-client privilege. Such gamesmanship should not be permitted. If the court were to consider the Barden Declaration, which it shouldn't, it would be on a ruling on less than complete record because, based on this declaration, it is necessary that defendant disclose all communications with him and possibly others. Miss Roberts doesn't have those communications. The court doesn't have those communications. Therefore, defendant is asking for summary judgment on an incomplete record. 
The court should also not consider the Barton Declaration because it will be inadmissible as unduly prejudicial. It is a self-serving declaration by a non-deposed witness made without turning over the documents that are relevant to the declaration. C.E.G. Rubens v. Mason, 387, F.3D, 183-185, 2nd Circuit, 2004. We find that the district court predicated its grant of summary judgment as to liability on an affidavit from the arbitrator who presided over the underlying arbitration, the probative value of which was substantially outweighed by the danger of unfair prejudice. The affidavit, therefore, should not have been admitted. We therefore vacate the grant of summary judgment to the defendant on liability and remand to the district court. B. Defendant summary judgment arguments require factual findings regarding Barton's intent, thereby precluding summary judgment. Even were the court to consider this declaration and representations therein, which it should not, the declaration itself demonstrates that the court would have to make factual findings as to what Mr. Barton's intent really was. Finding about intent are appropriate at the summary judgment stage, as this court and the Second Circuit Court have recognized. This court has explained, if it is necessary to resolve inferences regarding intent, summary judgment is not appropriate. Sweet J, citing Patrick versus Lefay, 745 F.2D, 153-159, Second Circuit, 1984. Friedman versus Myers, 482 F.2D, 435 439, Second Circuit, 1973. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. C. There are factual disputes regarding Barden's declaration. Finally, there are material disputes over the statements in the Barton Declaration because they are directly refuted by record evidence. For example, the instant motion and the Barton Declaration describe the press release merely as a document expressing his, Mr. Barton's, opinion in the form of a legal argument, as a lawyer would be, as opposed to a press release for dissemination by the media to the public. Record evidence refutes this claim as 1. The press release was sent to journalists, 2. Media publishers or in-house counsel. 2. The press release instructed the journalists to publish the defamatory statement. Please find attached a quotable statement on behalf of Miss Maxwell. 3. It was issued by a publicist on defendant's behalf and not an attorney without any reference to attorneys or laws. Indeed, Gao testified that Barton was unavailable to approve the statement and 4. Gao testified that he issued the statement only after he understood defendant to have signed off on it in understanding he formed based on defendant's positive command to him. This is the agreed statement. Question, when you sent that email, were you acting pursuant to Miss Maxwell's retention of your services? Answer, yes I was. Question, when you say agreed statement, can you tell me more about what you mean? Who agreed to the statement? Answer, I need to give you some context, if I may, about that statement. So this is on New Year's Day. I was in France, so the email time here is 2146, in French time, and 2246. 
and I was getting up early the next morning to drive my family back to the south of France to England, which is a 14-hour journey door-to-door. So on the morning of the 2nd of January, bearing in mind that Miss Maxwell, I think was in New York then, she was five hours behind, so there was quite a lot of sort of time difference between the various countries here. I sent her an email, I believe saying, parsing this, forwarding this email to her saying, how do you wish to proceed? And I was on the telephone. I had two telephones in the car. I received an excess 30 phone calls from various media outlets on the 2nd of January, all asking for information about how Miss Maxwell was looking to respond to the latest court filings, which were filed on the 30th of December, as I understand. And by close towards close of play on the 2nd, I received an email forwarded by Miss Maxwell containing a draft statement, which my understanding was the majority of which had been drafted by Mr. Barden with a header along the lines of this is the agreed on statement at close of play on the second. So I was, I had gone under the channel tunnel and I was sitting on the other side and that email, which my understanding was that it had been signed off on by the client effectively was then sent out to a number of media including Mr. Ball and various other UK newspapers. Question, Mr. Gow, when you say end of play and close of play, are you referring to sending the email that is Exhibit 2? Answer, yes I am. Question, the subject line does have FW, which to me indicates it's a forward. Do you know where the rest of the email chain is? Answer, my understanding of this is, it was a holiday in the UK, but Mr. Barden was not necessarily accessible at some point in time. So this had been sent to him originally by Ms. Maxwell, and because he was unavailable, she forwarded it to me for immediate action. I therefore responded, okay, Ghislaine, I'll go with this. It is my understanding that this is the agreed statement because the subject of the second one is urgent. This is the statement. So I take that as an instruction to send it out as a positive command. This is the statement. Accordingly, record evidence shows that the press release was intended as press release and not as a legal argument. Record evidence also establishes that defendant circulated the press release to Barden and Gao and then gave a positive command to Gao to publish it. Additionally, there is no indica that the press release is a legal opinion. To the contrary, it was issued by and specifically attributed to a woman who has personal knowledge of whether Ms. Roberts' claims of sexual abuse are true and she states that Ms. Roberts is a liar. At the very least, all of these factual issues must be considered by a jury. Another example is that defendant states that Gao served only as Mr. Barden's conduit to the media and Mr. Barden was directing the January 2nd through 15th statement to a discrete number of media representatives. Barden wasn't directing anything. He wasn't even in the loop when defendant decided to publish the statement and the documents prove it. Indeed, the press release itself states that it is on behalf of Ms. Maxwell, not Barden, it was the defendant who gave the positive command to Gao to publish it. These are just a couple of examples among many of the purported facts asserted in defendant's motion and Barden's declaration that are directly refuted by facts in the record. Finally, neither the media nor the general public could have known that the statement should be attributed to Barden. His name was nowhere in it, nor is there any reference to counsel. Defendant's argument that the context is the media knowing Barden's intent or involvement is unsupported by the record. The significant factual disputes about Barden alone prevent summary judgment. All right, folks, we're going to wrap up right there. And then in the next episode, we'll pick up where we left off. All of the information that goes with this episode can be found 
in the description box.